Well, um, I want to start with a story this morning. Uh, some of you may have heard of author and uh, pastor Gordon McDonald several years ago was uh, in an airport. I know that's weird today. There's not a whole lot of flying going on, but um, he was scheduled to fly out of um, Boston's Logan Airport to Chicago, but he made a mistake and the boarding pass attendant realized it that he was actually scheduled not to fly out of Boston, but Manchester, New Hampshire. And so he asked if she could possibly solve this problem for him and, uh, and, and help him get where he needed to go. And she says, yeah, we can do that, but it's going to cost you an extra $360. Anybody ever been there? So he was not real thrilled about this. He says, look, I fly with your airline all the time. I'm a 100,000-mile customer. I give you guys a lot of my business. Can't you just get me on the flight for free as a courtesy since I'm such a good um, customer? But the boarding pass attendant, of course, says, my hands are tied. There's nothing I can do. You've got to pay the $360. Now, Gordon McDonald says at the time there were some things going on at our church, and I was trying to uh, navigate through all of those things. And um, he says, uh, it really was my fault. I'm the one who incorrectly booked this and thought I was leaving out of Boston when really I was supposed to be leaving out of Manchester. But he says, I felt very depreciated. I felt kind of blown off, victimized by a big company who only cares mostly about money on every transaction. And he points out in an article, the ungodly part of me wanted to say something sarcastic, maybe about the friendly skies that I was flying. Um, And I felt like I wanted to hurt somebody because I had been hurt. And hurting maybe this lady and saying something sarcastic maybe would help me feel that I'd hurt the rest of the company and maybe she would call the CEO and tell him how she felt so that his day would be ruined just like mine was ruined. But then he said he remembered something that a friend had said during this situation he was dealing with at the church at the time. He said, someone has to show a little dignity in this thing and it really should start with you. So he said, I swallowed my pride and applied the advice to the situation. There's people behind him and they're seeing this whole transaction take place. They're hearing what's going on and he's trying to think about what to do next. So he said, I said to the boarding pass lady, before I pay you the $360, let me say just one more thing. He said, six weeks ago I came here to take a flight to the West Coast. And I discovered that the airline had canceled the flight but did not inform me. They said they were really sorry, and I forgave them. Then two weeks later, on a flight to Europe, the airline lost my luggage for two days, and they said they were really, really, really sorry, and again, I forgave them. Last week, on a third flight, they got me to my destination two hours late. Your people fell all over themselves, apologizing and telling me how sorry they were. And you know what? I forgave them again. Now, here I am, fourth time in six weeks, Wanting to fly with you again. See how forgiving I am? But this morning, the problem's mine. I forgot that I scheduled myself out of another airport. And I'm really, really sorry that I made this terrible mistake. You guys have said sorry to me three times in the last six weeks. And each time, I've forgiven you. Now, I would like to say I'm sorry to you. And ask that you forgive me and put me on that flight without charging me that $360. (laughs) You have three sorries, and now I'm asking for just one. 
does that make any sense to you? And he said, the boarding pass lady kind of thought for a minute. She goes, yes, it really does make sense to me. Let me see what I can do. And then you know what they do. They, you know. And he says, it seemed like she was writing a novel because she was just going on and on and on and on. But finally she says, we can do this and we're not going to charge you the $360. So he said, two minutes later, I was off to the gate with my boarding pass. Now, I think a lot of us can... Uh, maybe identify with that. We're in a situation where we're already maybe late. We're already scheduled to be somewhere and, and, and something happens like that. But the way we behave, sometimes we think about it an hour later, a day later, a week later, a month later, a year later. And we go, man, I really was a jerk. I wish I had not have acted like that. But he says, because our human dignity is eroded sometimes by these constant things, clashes, even our innocent mistakes point to the possibility for hateful and vengeful exchanges sometimes. And you have to keep alert unless you get sucked into sane and doing things that certainly you will regret later. And I would guess most of us can identify with a time in our life where we go, man, if I had to do that over again, I certainly wouldn't have said that. I wouldn't have acted like that. And, and we regret it. And I think we might think back to a time where maybe Gordon McDonald's friend would have, hopefully we would have had somebody that would have said, hey, someone has to show dignity in this thing. It really should start with me. It should start with me. So dignity, we understand what that is. It's self-respect. It's respectfulness to other people. It's nobility. It's goodness. It's simply doing the right thing at the right time. If we had only thought of that before we had spoke or acted. If we had only had someone to say that to us before we spoke or acted. Things would have and could have been different. So today I want us to look at an Old Testament story. We've been going through this series of uh, talking about crisis in our world. And how do we respond to crisis. And I want us to look at a story in the Old Testament. It's one of my favorites. I enjoy, I like it so much, I named my daughter after this lady named Abigail, and she's not in here today, but she always asked me on Saturday night, she goes, what's your sermon on tomorrow? And I said, it's about you tomorrow. And she goes, really? Is it about me? <laughs> she's going to tell everybody that, that I'm your favorite? And I said, yeah, that's probably not going to go over well with the rest of your siblings. <laughs> but I do love this story, and yes, that's why we named our daughter Abigail. Uh, but in this story, a seemingly simple request deteriorates into a a crisis situation. And someone wisely steps in and prevents this crisis from escalating into a deadly outcome. So we're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 25. And it is a long passage, but I think it's a good passage that we can read. And I believe it's going to be up on the screen for us. So I'm going to read through this rather quickly. Now Samuel died and all Israel assembled and mourned for him. And they buried him at his home in Ramah. Then David moved down into the desert of Paran. And a certain man in Moan had a property there at Carmel. He was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband was surly and mean in his dealings. He was a Calebite. While David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent ten young men and said to them, Go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. 
Now I hear that it is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time they were sent at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants and they will tell you. Therefore be favorable toward my men since we come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name. Then they waited. Nabal answered David's servants, Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men coming from who knows where? David's men turned back and went back, turned around and went back. And when they arrived, they reported every word. David said to his men, Each of you strap on your sword. So they did, and David strapped on his as well. About 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. One of the servants told Abigail, Nabal's wife, David sent messengers from the wilderness to give our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us, and the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day, we were, uh, they were a wall around us. The whole time, we were herding our sheep near them. Now, think it over and see what you can do, because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. Abigail acted quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five seas of roasted grain, 100 cakes of raisins, and 200 cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them on donkeys. Then she told her servants, go on ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. As she came riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, there were David and his men descending toward her, and she met them. David had just said, it's been useless all my watching over these fellows' property in the wilderness so that nothing of his was missing. He has paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, Pardon your servant, my lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention to my lord, to that wicked man Nabal. He is just like his name. His name means fool. And folly goes with him. As for me, your servant, I did not see the men my lord sent. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives, and as you live since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming my Lord be like Nabal. And let this gift which your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord because you fight the Lord's battles, and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. When the Lord has fulfilled, the, fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he has promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel, my Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed, of having avenged himself. And when the Lord your God has brought my Lord's success, remember your servant. David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. 
Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. Then David accepted from her hand what she had brought him and said, Go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your request. And I know that was long, but it's a great story, isn't it? She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, a win-win there, and she kind of saves the day. But I want us to unpack this a little bit. I don't know if you understand what has been happening to David. David was the king of the Jews. A lot of you may know that, maybe some of you don't. But David has been anointed to be king of the Jews, but he has not um, approached the throne yet. He has not been the king yet, but he has been anointed. And he's waiting to, but in the meantime, Saul, who is the current king, knows this, and he's not happy. He doesn't want to step down. He doesn't want to give the throne to David. He's very jealous of David, so much so that he is pursuing him to kill him. And in chapter 24, before what we just read today, David is in a cave with his men, and Saul goes in to relieve himself. That's actually quoted right from the scripture. I'm not being gross. (laughs) It's just one of those things. And David sees him, and all his men go, there he is. God's given him into your hands. Go ahead and kill him. And David says, I can't do this to the king. I know that's against what God says. But he cuts off part of his robe and holds it. And when uh, Saul walks out, he walks out and goes, Hey, Saul, could have got you, man. But I didn't. Why are you pursuing me? And so Saul, for the moment, repents and says, You are more righteous than I, David. And He goes on his way, at least seemingly for the time, repentant, and moves on, and David moves on, and then we get to this. So you got to understand, David has been doing the right thing. He's knowing that he's going to be king. He knows God has anointed him as king, but he's going, why is this man chasing me? If I'm supposed to be king, why am I have to endure this? And now he's been doing the right thing by watching this man's shepherd and his sheep, and he asked this guy just for some provisions to help him and his men, and the guy insults him, so he's really pushed his buttons. And David is at a point where he just basically says, you know what, I'm tired of doing the right thing. It's getting me nowhere. You ever felt like that? You ever felt like, hey, I'm tired of doing the right thing. It's not seeming me to get anywhere. And sometimes we want to give up or give into our flesh and decide to take things into our own hands. And that's exactly what David does. He has spared Saul. He's watched this man's sheep and now he can't even get some food and some help. From this man. Nabal insulted and disrespected David and his men. David is doing the right thing, and as when he hears about how he's been insulted, who's David? Surely he knows who David is, but he goes, I don't care who David is. Why should I take my food, my water, and give it to these guys? There's all kind of people running away from their masters nowadays. So obviously he does know who David is because he knows he's running from Saul. But it insults him. So what does David do? He said, all right, boys, strap on your swords. We're going to go take care of business. And it's not going to be a good business at all. But in steps Abigail. And Abigail actually means the joy of her father in the middle of this crisis. And we heard, I don't know if you heard, but Nabal, her husband's name. Anybody catch that? What does it mean? Fool. What were, what were his parents thinking? <laughs> you know, I, I don't know, but he was a fool. Y'all know what a fool is, right? It's why we have warning labels, right? And here's some of the warning labels, just to have a little fun with that this morning. This is for people like Nabal. On a Duraflame, Duraflame fireplace log, caution, risk of fire. <laughs> On a Batman costume, warning, cape does not enable user to fly. 
on a bottle of hair coloring do not use as an ice cream topping. Y'all remember the sun shields that you put on your windshield? Do not drive with sunshade in place. And on a portable stroller, caution, remove infant before folding for storage. <laughs> so we understand fools needing warning labels. But Abigail had obviously been dealing with her husband who is a jerk. He is surly. He is mean in his dealings, the word tells us there. He is rude. He is bad-tempered to people. Even his own servants go, no one can talk to him. No one can talk sense to him. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. So Abigail acts quickly and loads up the donkeys with lots of stuff. 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, a bushel of roasted grain, 100 raisin cakes, and it says 200 fig um, cakes, but I'm going to say 200 fig newtons because I love fig newtons. Y'all like fig newtons? And I'm thinking, man, that's a pretty good meal from what David was asking. This is not simply whatever you have for David's men. It's not just water and bread and maybe some meat. It's all kinds of things for a feast. And so through God's providence, David, as he's going down with 200 men with their swords on to really take care of not only Nabal, but all the men that are in his, you know, in his household. He's going to kill all these men. Can you imagine? And she bumps into him. And I think it's obviously by God's providence. And consider the humble posture that Abigail uses and her wise words. She acts quickly. And you know, if you remember in the Gospels, Jesus and Matthew and Luke talks about when you are going to court with your adversary, act quickly and try to amend things before you get to court. Try to take care of things immediately. He talks in, a, uh, in another, I think it's in Luke, where he talks about, hey, if you're going to war against someone who has a lot more men, you need to send terms of peace ahead of time and try to settle this before bloodshed. Act quickly and wisely. So she comes to David in humility and apologizing. She says, I take the blame for this. She acknowledges the arrogance and disrespect of her husband and acknowledges that his name actually means fool and he has done nothing to show differently in his life. She acknowledges God's hand in keeping David from bloodshed by sending her. She recognizes that this is not an accident that they're meeting and that she's doing what she's doing. She acknowledges that God has future plans and future procedures for David to, to get along and become king. He, she knows this is coming. And she acknowledges and asks David to forgive this offense of her husband, Nabal. And she challenges David, say, don't let any wrongdoing be a part of your life. God has set you apart. You're the anointed one. And she connects with David and well thought out with these well thought out uh, comments. Did you notice this one? Be bound securely in the bundle of of the living by the Lord, and he will hurl away the lives of your enemies as a pocket from a sling. You think that connected with David? Because he remembers, she knows that he uses a sling very, very well since a young man. So these words certainly connected with David and his experiences, and he's listening. She acknowledges David will be the appointed leader over all of Israel. Now, we're not sure how Abigail knows all this. I mean, you know, she didn't get to check her Twitter feed to find out all this stuff or go on David's Facebook page to check all this ahead of time, but she knows. Word has gotten out that this is going to be our new anointed king, and the current king is chasing him, so she knows all of this, and she certainly heard of David, and she gives him one last reminder. Don't do this needless bloodshed and self-vengeance. 
You don't want this on your conscience later down the line, David. And here's the most important thing that David did. David listened. Let me say that again. David listened. David listened. In spite of his anger, and he was very angry, in spite of his pride, in spite of being disrespected, and in spite of it being a woman from the enemy who is just the wife of the one who has just disrespected you and all of your men, he listens. He acknowledges, first and foremost, that the Lord has sent Abigail. He acknowledges that the Lord has sent her with good judgment to keep him from this bloodshed and from avenging himself. And he accepts these gifts for him and his men, which is what he wanted in the first place. He's getting what he actually asked for. And he allows her to go in peace. And I would guess that um, that may have been one of the most satisfying meals that David has ever had in his life when they got to unfold all those fig newtons and all that other stuff. It's like, wow, God taught me something very valuable today and I got what I wanted because I listened to his advice and his wisdom. So what are the lessons for us here today? Well, first of all, don't give up on doing good because of injustice and evil people and in the world. Does that resonate maybe in our culture and what's going on today? Act quickly to be a peacemaker, not to instigate things and making it, you know, uh, ramp up. Use humility and remind people of God's plans and promises for them and for everyone. Remind people to allow God to avenge injustice and listen, listen, listen. I think about some of the things that have happened in our culture recently. What if someone would have been an Abigail to Derek Chauvin? Maybe George Floyd would be alive. What if Derek Chauvin would have listened to the people with the cameras all around him and even some of the other people going, man, get off of that guy. What are you doing? Maybe George Floyd would be alive today. What if someone would have been an Abigail to Rayshard Brooks and said, don't get in that car and drive after you've been drinking. Maybe Rayshard Brooks would be alive today. What if Rayshard Brooks would have been like David and listened to counsel? Don't get in that car drunk and drive. What if someone would have been an Abigail to those who shot and killed this little eight-year-old girl, Sequoia Turner? Those who decided they were going to take the law into their own hands and block off streets and take guns and start shooting at cars that went on a street that they deemed shouldn't be there. What if this someone had been an Abigail? Maybe little Sequoia Turner would still be alive. Well, you see, Jesus meets us on the way. When we got our swords strapped on and we're going down and we're going to take care of business on our own, Jesus meets us on the way and in humility reminds us that he has taken care of what the real problem is. It's not our enemies. It's not this thing that someone has done to us. Not that that's not real and hurtful and something we have to deal with. But he reminds us that sin is really what separates us from our Father who He has and what he has created us to be. That is what's separating us. That's what really is bothering us. He suffers. And he suffered for all of us, though, that all injustices that we've experienced, that everybody in history has experience has been set right, has been reconciled and restored so that we can be who God created us to be. So I ask you today, are you strapping on a sword and getting ready to do something foolish? 
getting ready to say something. And maybe it's not as big a consequence as what David, maybe you're not on your way to kill somebody in their whole household of men. But some of us do have a sword we've strapped on and we're angry about something. And somebody needs to pay. And we're about to maybe do something or say something that we shouldn't. And so we can either be an Abigail and a David or we can be somebody like Nabal and be foolish. And maybe God is sending you to be an Abigail to your family and friends and speak truth to someone who's about to do something. You know they're angry and they're talking about doing stupid things and you can say, wait a minute, God has a plan for you. Don't do this. Don't do something you're going to regret. And maybe you can be David and you're angry and you're prideful and you're going to make somebody pay for disrespecting you. I know, men, we're like that, aren't we? You disrespected me, somebody's going to pay. We're like that, aren't we? And maybe we can be like David and simply listen, 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 and not do something foolish. The common thread here is that both Abigail and David believed that God ultimately was in control, not them. And they acted in faith and trust towards his truth and his wisdom and acted in his way rather than their own way. So today, how can you and I show the world and going forward that although, although many things may be out of our control, and yes, there's injustice that continues to go on in our world, but that we are not in control. And we need to put our trust and hope in God who has the future for us and everyone. And speak truth and wisdom into people. So this morning I want to, as we always do, give an opportunity. Maybe there's somebody here today that hears that story. And maybe you do have a sword that you've strapped on and you're ready to do something. Maybe foolish or you're just going to handle things in your own way. You're like David. I'm just going to handle it my own way. Tired of doing the right thing. I'm going to do it my own way. But no, God asks you to say, humbly come before him and submit to him. And allow him to take charge of your life. So we're going to give that opportunity this morning. If there's someone that needs to come to Christ today. And make him Lord and Savior of your life. Or maybe join a church where you know what? We are certainly not perfect. And we do some, some things that aren't great all the time. But we're committed to listening to the God that we worship. To give us wisdom and grace. In this, this crazy world that we live in. We, we acknowledge that we need him. And together we can be who he's called us to be. So I know Mike's going to come and lead us in a song. And if you have a decision today, we ask that you come forward at this time.